Thank you for tuning in to our podcast here at Tuolumne Community Baptist Church. My name's George, pastor here at the church. I get in Sunday mornings early, um, you know, turn the AC on, make sure the bulletins are out. I make coffee, you know, do all the little things that people don't realize that you do. And it's okay because it's a really blessed time. I'm here all by myself. I get to worship God, sing praises to his name. You know, I sound pretty good when I'm in the church all by myself. It's a wonderful time. I am so glad that you're here with us this morning. I wanted to apologize to you for some reason last week, the introduction to the book of Judges, I believe that it was a powerful message, but it did not record or it did record and somehow because of my internet problems at home, I seem to have lost it in cyberspace. So I promise I will do it again, and you'll have to go back and listen to the introduction. I think the introduction is very important to have some history uh, as to what's really going on with the children of Israel in this time. It's, it's a very interesting story. Today we're going to be finishing chapter 1 from 16 uh, to the end, and then we're going to pick up chapter 2, and I'm going to try to make it all the way through chapter 2 if I can, but um, you never know. Anyway, God bless you. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoy it, and I will get that introduction to Judges. I'll have to record it here in the office for you. God bless you. I hope to see you soon. He left him specific instructions. Obey me. Pay attention to the statutes that I've set up before you. Don't worship other gods. And then their leader dies and they turn back to their evil ways. Last week we ended at Judges 1.16. It's hard on me to do that. I'm a, a type A kind of personality. I like going chapter by chapter by chapter. I don't like jumping back into the middle of one, but it is what it is, and I doubt if we're going to get through chapter two today, but I'm going to try. I'm going to give it a really good effort. I'm going to have to read really fast. Really fast. From this point forward, and that's meaning the end of chapter one, the tribes of Israel experience nothing but failure. As a book of Judges opens, appears the 12 tribes are preparing to destroy the last few remnants of the Canaanite opposition, but something goes desperately wrong. They obeyed, but only partially. Partial obedience is no obedience at all. Amen. Thank you. This partial obedience is no obedience at all. If you've raised kids, you know what I'm talking about. They controlled the land, but they did not finish the tax, task of cleansing it out. Out of all those who worshipped idols in defiance of the one true living God of Israel. 
So Judges, the book of Judges describes a situation that was deteriorating very quickly. But remember, when I say very quickly, this is a process of time. We're going to read the rest of chapter 1, and honestly, I think it's probably a period, the best that I can tell, of about 20 to 30 years. It's not just, you know, a weekend warrior. They go out there and they, they fight these battles and then they let these live and live amongst them. It didn't happen just overnight. This is a process of time. From one chapter to, to the next, it could be many times as many as 40 years. Nothing just happens overnight. And once again, we can draw out the parables of the 21st century. The church, or may I say the United States, the comparison to. Do you realize it's been 60 years since we've took prayer out of the public schools? How's that work for America? How do you see our public schools today? You know, I just heard something this last week on last Thursday when us pastors got together. A youth pastor was there and he started telling me of different designations now the school have that are allowing children to fall under that designation, like boy and girl. They have another one that's called Furby. A Furby, they can wear ears, they can wear a mask, they can wear a tail, and they have to respect that and allow them to talk in the animated voice of a cat or a mouse or whatever they're pretending to be. In our public schools. Oh, that's happening in the Bay Area. No, it's happening here. Another group in, in uh, mid-school, they're calling themselves demons and have a legal right to call themselves demons and be represented as a demon in our public schools. See, we're so sheltered. We live up here in Tuolumne and the world is good and, and you know, our kids are great and, and you know, everything's fine. And if, you're, if I'm like the rest of you, I don't watch the news, don't care about it. Because all you hear is all these horrible things on the news. And, and we're kind of sheltered and protected what's really happening in our own communities. Do you think in 1962 they, could have, they would have ever thought that it was going to come down to choosing what gender you want to be? By taking prayer out of school? No, they didn't think that. Well, see, this is what's happening in the book of Judges. They think it's just a small thing. Nobody's really, it doesn't really matter. Hey, we don't have to kill these people. We can, we can tax them. We can make money off them. We can just tax them. Let them live among us. And God said, no, you can't. You can't. You know, it'd be like a, a drug addict having a little bit of drugs back up in the cupboard somewhere. It's, just, it's a stash, man. It's a stash. I'm just going to save it there. But, you know, someday maybe I can handle it. Can that drug addict handle it, Manny? It, it's, it's a lie. It's a lie. Same thing with a little alcohol in the house. You know, it's just, you know, hey. God said to kill it. To kill all these things that potentially could take you down, take you out. So let's look at Judges chapter 1, verse 16. 
I'm going to go through this fairly rapidly because it's, it's very repetitive. You can, you can read it at home and, and see what I'm talking about. Now, the children of, the children of Canaanite, Moses' father-in-law, I well, see right there it starts out, Moses' father-in-law has been dead for many years. It's the family of Moses' father-in-law. You have to kind of understand they use that, I don't know. It's the family of Moses' father-in-law that he's referring to not the physical father-in-law, went up to the city of Palms and the children of Judah into the wilderness of Judah, which lies in the south near Ered, and they went and dwelt among the people. What does that tell you right there? I mean, starting off, they went and they dwelt with the people that lived there, the Canaanite people that were worshiping other gods. We just went and lived with them. We're, We're peaceful. Let's just go live with them. And Joshua went with his brother Simon, and they attacked the Canaanites and inhabited Zepheth and utterly destroyed it. So the name of the city was called Hormah. Also, Judah, verse 18, took Gaza with its territory. You guys are going to have to forgive me with these names. I'm just going to throw them out there the best I can say them and, and you know, call it what it will. But, okay. But Ashkelon which is the territory of Eklon, with its territory. Verse 19, So the Lord was with Judah, and they drove out the mountaineers, all those people driving Ford trucks, but they could not drive out the inhabitants of the lowland because they had chariots of iron. Do you think God couldn't handle chariots of iron? Seriously? God can throw balls of fire from heaven and blow each one out of the way. But they were afraid. And they said, man, we can't go up against these people. But they had to promise to God to fight their battles. Let's bring it home. I know God heals the sick. But everyone I know dies. What I have is just too big for God to heal. I've never heard of God healing anyone of what I have. You ever said those things? And yet Jesus healed all over the place through the, through the New Testament. Amen. And we feel like, well, he's not going to heal me. I'm not going to pick on you, Joe, but he's not going to heal anyone who has diabetes. Are you kidding me? God created this body. And he's a healer of healers. Look at Matthew 12, 15. He said, But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew from there, and a great multitude followed him, and he healed them all. Do you think these people that he healed were saints? No. No. They were just people. They were seeing this incredible guy preaching God's word, and he healed them all. Matthew 14, 14 says, And when Jesus went out, a great multitude And he moved with compassion for them, and he healed their sick. These weren't people that were, we call them good Christians, Sunday-going people. These people were heathens. At best, they were going to the Jewish temple, at best. Matthew 14, 30. But when he saw the wind was blusterous, he was afraid, and he began to sink. We know who we're talking about here, right? And he said, Lord, save me. Just like us, even Peter has doubts of Jesus being able to save. That's why he began to sink. 
We're just people. So don't be so hard on yourself, but understand God is a healing God. And he can heal you. Let's get back to Judges 1.21. But the children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who inhabited Jerusalem. So the Jebusites dwelt with the children of Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day. And whenever it says to this day, it's to the day of the person writing the story, which we believe that it's Samuel, but we don't know for sure. We have no way of knowing for sure, but we believe just by comparing some of the writings from Samuel from this to Samuel, we believe he probably was the writer. Verse 22, And the house of Joseph also went up against Bethel, and the Lord was with them. So the house of Joseph sent men to spy out Bethel. The name of the city was formerly Luz. And when the spies saw a man coming out of the city, they said to him, Please show us the entrance of the city, and we will show you mercy, brother. Okay, I get it. Help us, and we'll help you, right? That's kind of what Rahab did with the Israel spies. But you got to understand, there was a big difference between what Rahab did and what these guys are doing. Rahab said, I believe in the one true God of Israel. I've heard the stories of what he did at the Red Sea. I've heard the stories of those you've wiped out already. I believe in your God. So they allowed her to live, and she wound up marrying one of the generals of that army. But here, they're saying, show us the entrance to the city, and we'll let you and your family live. Judges 1.25, it says, Did I skip a verse? Where am I at? 25. 25, okay, thank you. So he showed them the entrance of the city, and they struck the city with the edge of the sword, but they let the man and his family go. Verse 26, and the man went into the land of the Hittites, and he built another city, and he called its name Luz, which is its name to this day. And everybody who went from one Luz went to the other Luz, and to this day they call them Losers. <laughs> but isn't it interesting? They let his family live, him and his family, and he just they started another city. However, verse 27, however, Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants of Bethshean and its villages, or Tenek and its villages or the inhabitants of Dor and its villages, or the inhabitants of Ibeam and its villages, or the inhabitants of Megadu and its villages, for the Canaanites were, Canaanites were determined to dwell in the land. What did God tell them to do? To drive them out. If you have to, wipe them out. You have to. And it came to pass, when Israel was strong that they put the Canaanites under tribute. But they did not completely drive them out. Somebody must have said, hey, instead of killing them, man, let's use them, let's tax them. Let's make them pay to stay. That makes sense, right? Come on, is that what God told them to do? Nor did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites who dwelt in Gezer, and the Canaanites that dwelt in Gezer among them. Nor Zeblim, uh, verse 30, nor did Zeblim drive out the inhabitants of Kidron and the inhabitants of whatever, and the Canaanites drive out among them, and they put them under tribute. 
So they were collaborating on this. They were saying, we don't have to drive them out. They got money. They got food. They got grain. They, we'll just, we'll make them plow our fields. We'll make them pay taxes. They were messed up. They were totally off. 32, and the Asherites dwelt among the Canaanites, inhabitants of the land, for they did not drive them out. Verse 33, nor did Napoli drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh. And the inhabitants of Beth Athna, but they dwelt among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land. Nevertheless, the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh and Beth Anath were put under tribute to them. Wow. Are you seeing the pattern here? And again, you read it and you think, oh, this happened in one day. No, this happened over a process of time, probably 15, 20 years. And it seemed to them like it was working. We're making money off these people that we're allowing to live. Big mistake. Verse 34 says, And the Amorites forced the children of Dan into the mountains, for they would not allow them to come down to the valley. Ah, now the Amorites are driving the family of Dan into the mountains and not letting them come down. Oh, who's winning the battle there? And the Amorites were determined to dwell in Mount Ayers, in Ajalon, and in Shelbem. Yet the strength of the house of Joseph was greater. They were put under tribute. Do you see it happening? Is it plain to you to see what's going on? They're not doing what God has asked them to do or told them to do at all. Verse 36, now the boundary of the Amorites as from the ascent of Aklabim, from Sela and upward. They were obedient, but they did not complete the job that God had asked them to complete. They did not drive them out. It made more sense to put them under tribute, to use them. But remember, they had this their prophets had this. Look at Numbers 35, 56, 55 through 56. Moses told them, But if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then it shall be that those whom you let remain shall be irritants to your eyes and thorns to your sides and, and shall harass you in the land where you dwell. Moreover, verse 56, I shall, it shall be that I will do to you as I thought to do to them. You better be saying, thank you, Jesus, for our Savior. You, we have the blood of Christ covering us. Yes, you still go out and act like an idiot. You still go out and make a mistake, but you can repent and turn your ways, and it's washed clean. It's a beautiful thing that we have. But if we would simply pay attention to how he has taught us to live, we wouldn't have to go through this this constant cycle of repenting, doing okay and sinning and repenting just over and over again. So now we're here at Judges chapter 2. And it starts off very interesting. Judges 2, verse 1. Then the angel of the Lord came to Gilgal, Bacham, and said, I led you up 
from Egypt and brought you to the land which I swore to you, your fathers, and said, I will never break my covenant with you. All right. Who is this angel of the Lord? He just shows up. It starts off chapter two, right out the gate. It's God. It's God. There clearly states in the Bible, the angel of the Lord is stated several times. He said, I brought you up out of Egypt and led you into the land which I swore to your fathers. And I said, I will never. He's talking in the first person here. I will never break my covenant with you. God has made appearances throughout the Old Testament. The Old Testament records a number of these temporary appearances of God in human form. By nature, God is invisible spirit and we can't see it. No man can see him. However, there are times that God took on a visible form of appearance to people. And these appearances are known as theophanies or Christophanies, if it's Christ. So we have Christ himself, the son of God, showing up and telling him, you got to pay attention to how he talks here. He, he goes on for quite some time. Three times he appeared as a man and five times as an angel of the Lord. Each time this has occurred was extraordinary situation. I want to show you just a few. I'm just going to give you a few points. He appeared to Hagar in Genesis 16, 9 through 13. He appeared to Abraham and Sarah, if you remember that, Genesis 18, 1 through 33. The angel of the Lord appeared to, to Abraham on Mount Morah. Genesis 22:11-14. God told Abraham to bring his son Isaac to the Mount of Morah and be sacrificed. Abraham obeyed, and he was about to take Isaac's life, and God intervened. The angel of the Lord stopped Abraham. I love that story because God says, now I know. Now I know. I know your heart. Can God say that about you? Now I know. The Lord appeared to Jacob at Penel, Genesis 32, 24 through 43. He appeared to Moses in the burning bush. Remember that? Exodus 3, 2 through 4. When Moses received the call from the Lord to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt's bondage, he saw a bush that was burning, but it was not being consumed by fire. And yet he could hear the voice of God talking to him. Amazing. So we shouldn't be so shocked when we see that the Lord shows up. I think probably chapter one was 30, 40 years. And God says, enough of this. I got to go down. And I got to talk to him. I got to straighten him out. He continues to speak. Verse two. And you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall tear down our altars. But you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? Has God ever asked you that? Yes, yeah, me. Why have you done this? I don't want him to ever ask me that again. But it happens. Why have you done this? Verse 3. Therefore, I also say, I will not drive them out before you, but you shall be, but they shall be thorns in your side, and their gods shall snare, be a snare to you. 
So it was when the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the children of Israel that the people lifted their voices and wept. In other words, they repented. They repented. Verse 5. And they called the name of this place Bacham. I was going to look up to see what that name means, but I didn't. I ran out of time. Weeping. Weeping? Is that what that means? Yes. Okay. And they sacrificed there to the Lord. Now the writer continues on with the rest of this story. And he takes a turn. He gives us now some history and actual commentary of what has happened since the death of Joshua. It's really interesting. All of a sudden it jumps up at us after the angel of the Lord makes these incredible statements to the children. Now the writer is writing this as a commentary and listen to what it says. Verse 6. And when Joshua had dismissed the people. Now we know that Joshua has died quite some many years back. But now he's, he's talking and telling us the story. When Joshua had dismissed, when, and when Joshua had dismissed the people and the children of Israel went each to his own inheritance to possess the land. Verse 7. So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and the days of the elders who outlived Joshua who had seen the great works of the Lord, which he had done in Israel. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of God, died. And when he was 110 years old, praise God, I got a ways to go. I want to make it to 110. I don't know if the world's going to make it, but I want to make it. And when they buried him within the border of his inheritance at the Timoth Harry's, in the mountains of Ephraim, on the north side of Mount Gesh. Verse 10, when all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord, nor the work he had done in Israel. We got to take this apart a little bit. When it says, when all the generation had been gathered to their fathers, when that generation died, is what he's saying. They're gathered to their fathers now. They're being buried potentially in the same tomb, same places where their fathers are. Another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord, nor the work which he had done in Israel. Do you realize how critical a statement that is? That's probably one of the saddest statements in the whole Bible. Do you realize I believe in our nation we're raising up a generation who does not know that this nation was founded on Christian morals and standards? Why do you think that, you know, it's, it's going as crazy as it is because they don't know God. They don't know that we were based on biblical principles. They haven't been taught We are raising up a, a generation of children that will have no idea of what our nation's truly about. And church, we need to be concerned. I hope that you're preaching and teaching your grandchildren and your children. I hope that you are. I believe that you are. Because they need it now more than ever. Verse 11. Then when Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord... 
they served the Baals. Notice the Baals, it's a plural, more than one. There are names for the Baals. We will talk about some of them in a moment. And they forsake the Lord God of their fathers who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. Can you believe that this generation didn't even know that God parted the Red Sea? It's, just, it's mind-boggling. They didn't know the things that God had done for them. And they followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were all around them. And they bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. You need to thank God that I'm not God. I'd, I'd have just sent a fireball down and been done with it and called it good. They forsook, forsook the Lord and served Baal and the Asterisks. The Baals and the Asterisks were false gods of the Canaanites, a pagan people who worship many gods. Asterisk is a Hebrew name for a female fertility, fertility goddess which was worshipped from Egypt to Macedonia and by the various and offered related names. Sometimes these names were phonic applications of the original names. Have you heard lately, lately on the news of our, our new rocket that NASA is sending into space? Can anybody tell me the name of our new rocket ship? Artemis. Artemis. You know what Artemis is? It's a Greek goddess of love related to Diana. Tell me that we're not following in the same steps. Here, there's just a few Baals in the Bible. I want to give a few of them to you. Baal Gad, you can find that in Joshua eleven seventeen. Baal Hamnon, uh, Song of Solomon eight eleven. Baal Hazor, Second uh, Samuel thirteen twenty three. Nebo and Baal Minon, Numbers thirty two thirty eight. Baal Peor, Deuteronomy four three. And then you have Baal Zebub, Second Kings one and two. This is the Baal they accused Jesus of being. Remember that. They said, he's got to be a Beelzebub. And Jesus looked at him and said, that is the most ridiculous, I'm paraphrasing, that is the most ridiculous statement. You what? Demons are going to cast out demons? Really? And you call me? <laughs> it was just so ridiculous. Beelzebub, 2 Kings. It's just amazing. Verse 14, and the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. So he delivered them into the hands of the plunderers who despoiled them. And he sold them into the hands of their enemies all around. So they could no longer stand before their enemies. I'd like to kind of draw a correlation to that in the United States here too. We used to be the most powerful nation in the world. Do you think we are today? No. No. Verse 15, whenever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for calamity as the Lord had said, and the Lord had sworn to them as they were greatly distressed. Verse 16, nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges who delivered them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Now think of this. Our merciful God <laughs> decides to raise up people amongst them to lead them and God says 
You follow him and I'll deliver you. It's amazing. Can you even fathom God's grace? It's, it's just, it mind boggles me to think that, that God, haven't you had enough? Just, just let him be. And he says, no, these are my people because there's a few out there who are serving me. You have to understand, just because all these people were acting crazy and doing what they were doing, there were still good Jewish people who were sacrificing and going to the temple and worshiping and trying to raise their kids right. Otherwise, where would he find a judge to raise up? But out of one of those families that was trying to do right by God. Maybe we're not crying out enough. Maybe we have to go through as a nation a little more trouble uh, before we really begin to cry and say, God, we need a leader. God is merciful and he will hear our cries. But I don't think we as a nation have suffered enough yet. Verse 17. Yet they would not listen to their judges. God's going to appoint judges. We haven't got one yet. But they, he, he already knows that they're not going to listen. But they pay the harlot with other gods and bow down to them. They turn quickly from the way which their fathers walked in obeying the commandments of the Lord. They did not do so. Verse 18. And when the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge and delivered them out of the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity for their groaning because of those who oppressed them and harassed them. God cares. And it came to pass when the judge was dead, is verse 19, that they reverted and behaved more corruptly than their fathers by following other gods to serve them and bow down to them. They did not cease from their own doings, nor from their stubborn way. Verse 20, then the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. And he said, because this nation has transgressed my covenant, which I commanded their fathers, has not heeded my voice. Verse 21, I also will no longer drive them out, drive them out before them any of the nations of Joshua left when he died. Verse 22, so that through them I may test them, Israel, whether they will keep the ways of the Lord to walk with them as the fathers kept them or not. God will use these people to test you. He will test us with things that we are most subject to. He will test us. Will you pass the next test? When whatever it is, your thing that, that you know, maybe for some of us it could be pornography and, and some of the seductive stuff we see on TV, I'm telling you, we need to turn it off. Because it's slowly desensitizing you and slowly drawing you in. I thank God that they really don't have alcohol commercials too much on TV anymore, except for hard alcohol they do, but it depends on what your things is. What is it? God's going to test you. Will you pass the test? 
Verse 23 says, Therefore the Lord left those nations without driving them out immediately, nor did he deliver them into the hand of Joshua. This verse offers a partial explanation for why Joshua did not complete the conquest of the entire promised land. Joshua 1.4 says, Prior to his death, even though Joshua was faithful to the Lord, the Lord's hand was with Joshua, and and the people of Israel were not so loyal. They weren't with him. Thanks to Israel's compliance and disobedience, complacency and disobedience, Deuteronomy 20, 16 through 18, God allowed some of Israel's enemies to survive. Those foes rose up against Israel as God's chosen people rebelled against the Lord. In this same way, the Lord will use our enemies to test us. In truth, to prove beyond a doubt whether we would begin to obey him again when we're under distress. Anybody here ever been under distress? We're really pretty blessed. I put the circle of, what do you want to call that? They just continually go around. They serve the Lord. They fall into sin. Israel is enslaved. They cry out to the Lord. Then the Lord will send them a judge. Israel's delivered. And they begin to serve the Lord again. It's just a vicious circle. They keep going around it over and over and over again. And do we? Yeah, we do. We come and we ask for forgiveness. Father, forgive me. Wash me with your blood. I took communion. I believe. And then we turn right around and potentially sin. It's an amazing story. The tribes of Israel committed great sin when they failed to drive out the depraved, the wicked Canaanites from the land. God rebukes them harshly, warning them of the consequences to follow. The people weep and they offer sacrifices And yet the generations after Joshua abandoned God. They worship false gods and perform hideous sins. The Lord burns with anger and uses Israel's enemies as punishment and as a test to see if they will return to him. When suffering becomes intense, God rescues And he uses a judge. Then when the judge dies, they return to their sin. A cycle that happens over and over again. And I want you to think about in your own minds how we are living in that cycle. Going along pretty fine. Then something distressful happens. And we get angry at God. How could God allow this to happen in my family? We shake our fists at him and maybe pick up some old habits to try to just make ourselves feel a little better about who we are. Well, pastor, that would never happen. I would never do that. Well, wait until you lose a grandchild. 
I did. And I was angry. But I serve a merciful God. That allowed me the anger because he knows how foolish I am. And he loved me enough to take me back into his arms and says, it's okay, I understand. I lost my son too. But I got him back here in heaven. And I made a way for you to survive the worst things in life. If you think we're living in hard times now, you're kidding yourselves because we're not. We're still in the lap of luxury. Are you wanting to say something to me, Bob? He's testing us as a nation and we're failing. Yes, we are. He is testing us as a nation and we are failing. And I watch the news to see what my enemies are doing right now. That's why I watch. I watch it to see what my enemies are doing. Right. And how we're failing. Yeah, big time we're failing. So we need to be ready. I believe in the end times that God talks about the great falling away. What would possibly cause people to fall away? Hardship. God, you said you would take us out before we ever endured any of this pain. Wrong. But you said, well, preachers have been preaching that, that you'll be taken away. You'll never see. You'll never have a day of hunger. You'll never go without water. You'll never go without food. You'll never... You won't have to suffer those things. I'll take the church. It's not true. We need to be prepared. We need to be ready and know that God will carry us through. He will supply our every need if we just keep serving him and believing in him, no matter what's happening around us. As a church, we need to be ready. As a community, we need to get our community ready. Amen? Could I ask the worship team to come back and you know, I would really love it if, if you did that last song again. That is, is such a, a beautiful song. Dave, yeah, if you want to come up and, and enjoy them. Jason, if you, if you uh, exit out of that, just hit the exit button. There you go. And now you can bring up his worship set and go to the third song, and it'll come right up. But while, while we play this song, and, and I want you to worship a little bit, just, just make love to Jesus. That's what the song's saying. Jesus, I love you. We need to worship him in spirit and in truth. Lay all the troubles aside. Lay aside how you're feeling, the worries you may be having. We worry. I tell you not to worry, but we're human beings. We still worry. Can we just lay them down for a minute? And trust him and just worship him. And while we worship him, is that the third song? No, you'll, you'll get there. While we worship him, if you need prayer, I would like to be able to pray with you. Joe and I will wait down here. You can watch her sing. I don't sing so good. I'll try. Sing all right. God bless you, brother. You love your pastor. Sings in a bucket. Let's worship God. And if you need prayer, please come for prayer.